Yes, children, this is the cool out corner. We're slowing things down for all the lovers in the house. I'll be giving you all the help you need. Musically, that is. My people, my people, what can I say? What can I say? Say what I can. I saw it, but I don't believe it. I didn't believe it, what I saw. Are we going to live together? Together, are we going to live? Whoa, we all take a chill. You got to cool that shit off, and that's the double truth. Ruth. Hello everyone and welcome to the Rewatchman. I am TCB with with me as always is my main man Benjamin Toe. How's it going, fellow? Scala. <laughs> uh, for those of you new to the podcast here at the Rewatchman, we take a movie that you may not have seen in a long time and we reevaluate it. Is it as good as you remember? Is it as bad as you remember? That's what we are here to do. We don't review movies. We re 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 review those movies. <laughs> Today we're looking at 1989. Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. A Spike Lee joint, if you will. It's always been a joint. I didn't realize that. Yes. Like I, I oh man, I'm so Ben. You picked this movie. I had made a suggestion that we should probably pick something that might delve into some of the current events that unfortunately our country has been facing Mm. and this is one of the one of the most important movies for that conversation the the systemic racism Mm -hmm. that exists in this country specifically on a hundred plus degree day in brooklyn new york new york new york on a saturday 1989 how you doing ben doing well sir how are you i'm good i'm good uh Certainly, I want to jump right into talking about the movie itself, but uh, um, when is the last time? Why, why'd you pick this? When's the last time you watched it? You know, t- t- What does this movie mean to you? Tell me all sorts of things. Sure thing. Um, <laughs> I saw this movie for the first time only two years ago, I believe, and it was also on a 100-degree temperature day, so everything kind of fell conveniently into place, and it was one of those things where um, the first time it opened my eyes to what was really going on in the inner city, and it's also really cool to watch this again because... I, I like that it's not solely a black suffrage film. It is not. It is, that, that, is a, that is a common misconception mm-hmm. about not just this movie, but Spike Lee in general. Yes. And it actually took re-watching it this time for me. And I, I, I kind of changed my mind about Spike Lee when I saw this probably about 10 years ago in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was watching it again now that I'm like, man, this is so not specifically a black movie. Mm. It is not at all. Mm. This is this is a everyone. This is a people movie. This yeah. is yeah. So anyway, so you just saw it. Yeah, yeah and uh, so watching it again, I'm just really appreciating, real, uh, really appreciating kind of the celebration of inner city culture and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, they may not have a lot, but they can enjoy whatever whatever they have, like the kids playing with the fire hydrant and stuff mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. and all that jazz. But um, uh, just just watching it again and. And seeing it, uh, like seeing what's going on right now, and immediately when you prompted the question, you know, what should we watch to kind of address what's going on right now? I thought immediately of this film because, mm-hmm. like, there's so many ways you could go about it. There's you know, Fruit Vale, and there's like Boys in the Hood, and there's also like plenty of other things that address the same themes. But yeah, Selma, uh, Dear White People. Yeah, um, I actually feel like Dear White People might be the closest to addressing these same things without it being specifically yeah. a black. Very. Point of view. 
very um, similar issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just feel like this one was the most appropriate, seeing as how uh, nothing's really changed since 1989. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, yeah. un- incredibly so. Yeah. Rewatching this, uh, especially be- the way it, it devolves by the end of the movie, yeah. it is heartbreaking. Yeah, I was very, like, I, even though I knew beat for beat what was going to happen, because mm-hmm. I watched it so recently, I still felt such an, like, emotional response from it. Like, I was such, I still, the anger still felt fresh. You it, know I, mean? I, I felt more. Yeah. This is the most moved I've been mm. by this film. I haven't seen it a lot. I've probably seen it twice yeah. before. I know I've seen it once in its entirety for sure because mm-hmm. we analyzed it in an English course. Yeah. But having seen it in high school at some point, I remember, mm. you know, appreciating it in a small way. Uh, but it's this third time of watching it that I, I mean, I, I was holding back tears by the end of it. Mm. Um, ah, man, uh, so powerful of a film. But let's let's discuss it uh, first as the filmmaking aspect of it. Yes. Because one might say Spike Lee has kind of Shyamalan his career. <laughs> he has become a bit of a megalomaniac. Yeah, the uh, like old boy is. Uh, I think his most recent. No, no. Um, Shyrak. Shyrak was his yes, most Chirac. recent one, which, which I didn't see. Which looks interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with the Greek tra- uh, Greek play mm. Lysistrata, which it's based on. So I'm curious to see it, but. Mm. Uh, previous to that was Old Boy, which was not Old Boy, not well received. <laughs> and that vampire movie, <laughs> The Sweet Blood of Jesus. What? Yeah, I've never even heard of that well, one. There's My a Spike Lee vampire movie out there, TC. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow! Uh, but this is uh, arguably his best movie. Yes, and it's not just be- it's not just his best movie. It's one of the best. There's it's so stylistic mm. i have and it's because i've learned so much about filmmaking in the past decade uh, since watching this yeah that i could really appreciate this movie the camera work and the art direction and the acting and the dialogue i mean where do we, where where to begin i say yeah. i say the camera work mm-hmm. those long takes yes. those sweeping shots the a lot of dolly and crane and some really interesting shots that you don't even see people attempt now practically mm. it's like the through the window there's a couple shots where uh, you're in um, mother sister's house yeah there's a shot where you pull out through her window mm. into the street and through the hallway out the window yeah L- one continuous long take there's mm. another shot where um but bug guy um uh, bugging out bugging out mm. is kicked out of sales yeah <laughs> and it, the door shuts mm. and the camera pushes into the up to the glass yeah. while the scene takes place and then it pulls back for Spike um, for Mookie to come back into the into the establishment. Th- just those are two of many yeah. of the great great camera work in this movie. Mm. Uh, any anything jumps out jump out at you from from that point of view? Just watching, yeah. Just I, I love all the cinematography. I think it's they used a lot. They did a lot with what they had because, like, this is a what three to six million dollar budget range, something and like that, yeah. I feel like you can't. I don't know. I, I'm just shocked that we can't make something like that with that kind of budget these days. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, to, to what I noticed stylistically was how much of a how much this movie kind of felt like a play. Yes, it felt like a stagey play, which was which is not a knock on it because mm. usually when we say that about film, um, it's usually a knock. Like the recent. The remake of the producers, like right. That's just filming the stage show, yeah, with camera moves, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this was, 
I think it was interesting how it played out like this because it was because everything's kind of hyper stylized and over exaggerated, but mm-hmm. done so in a way where you can actually highlight the real issues under underneath everything. You know, like the subtextual stuff. Yes, yeah. the the acting of it mm-hmm. is not theater. Yeah, with with doing long takes with staging it in a in a almost theatrical manner, like mm-hmm. a stage show manner. At first, I worried. Okay, is this going to start feeling like I'm watching a play? But yeah. the dialogue is so sharp, yeah, and the acting is so good. Yes, from, from everyone across the board, there are no there are no bad performances in here. Mm. I have one performance I'd like to discuss later, but <laughs> there's there's no bad performances. Everyone clearly respects the material and yeah. is giving it their all. Oh, man, and. Some of the veteran actors in this, mm. the the older generation of actors, Ruby D, rest in peace. Oh man, uh, the 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 not cutting and mm. letting those performances live and breathe. Yeah, is such a bold choice, mm. and it works so well. Absolutely, especially like I I have a pet peeve with fourth wall breaking, especially because it's kind of a trend now. Mm-hmm. After like Deadpool's kind of been doing it and stuff like that i feel like everyone feels like the right they have the right to f- break the fourth wall yeah <laughs> <laughs> but there's some really creative uh fourth wall breaking here especially the one i re- i remember the most was um when radio rahim has his love and hate monologue yes yes because it started off as just like a two shot with a conversation between him and mookie mm-hmm. and then it's uh, once again it's still a continuous shot and the camera pans to him and just focuses on him for a second when he's center framed mm-hmm. and he has his monologue and then it pulls back and they have another two shot conversation, which is really fascinating. It's like, we don't do that at all. No, like, no, I've never it, seen that done. <laughs> it, it was uh, the, the, most of the fourth wall breaks in this yeah. are, are great access into a character's thoughts. Yes. Uh, the moving into Radio Rahim, mm. it, you become Mookie's point of view. Yeah. Like you experience that monologue. It, there's a purpose to mm. it. And uh, uh, several of the fourth wall breaks throughout the course of the movie are from POV moments. Yeah. There's the uh, the bicycle guy. Um, Clifton, I think, is the character's name. It's the white guy in the Larry Bird movie. Uh. <laughs> it moves into a POV there. Mm. Uh, there's there's several. There's yeah. several POV. There's another set of POV mm. that is very different. Yeah. And it's the um, Mookie and Sal's older son, John Turturro's character, whose name escapes me. Uh, Pino. Pino mm. and Mookie have a disagreement, you know, and they say F Frank Sinatra, and he's like, F Michael Jackson. <laughs> and it's a hard cut yeah. to a fourth wall break of just a spewing yeah. of slurs. Mm. And it's not motivated by going into someone's point of view. Mm. It, that is an insight into the director's yeah. thoughts and message. Mm-hmm. And, and oh, I mean, think about the genius of that. Now, it's it's alarming because it smashes into these, just the spewing of hate, yeah. right? And the camera pushes into these people, mm-hmm. okay? That's because they are standing still. Yeah. They are, they are, they are standing and they're unmoved. They're, they're not going to move from their opinion. Their opinion is this. And it's the, and the only person who does move into it is Sam Jackson at the end. Yes. Because he's a character that's willing to change his opinion. Mm. And uh, that section, is it, it does seem out of place, mm. but that is a commentary, I think, on we can't end systemic and, and, uh, and the, the racism that we all have mm. if we aren't willing to move from our position mm. of feeling that way. And those are all, they're spouting it at the camera, 
they're in a safe, everyone's in their own safe space in front of their store, in front of, in the pizza parlor, in front of their brownstone with mm. the Puerto Rican guy. Yeah. And it's such an artistic choice to have them, ha- to, to have them do that. It's, yeah. Uh, there's, there's a similar moment like that in the 25th hour with Edward Norton, mm. another Spike Lee movie from the mid 2000s where it's a monologue from Edward Norton where he is just spewing hate. Mm. Uh, but it's, it, it, it's alarming because of how true it is. Yes. And that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably one of the most standout moments in the entire film. Um, and I, I really like that analysis because, like, I didn't think about the way they blocked it or their body, their kind of non-body movements mm-hmm. and how that kind of represents their attitudes, too. That's really fascinating. Um, <clears throat> and it's kind of cool that that's another choice in the film, too, and kind of adds to its... Uh, creative prowess mm-hmm. of of mr spike lee because i kind of treated that moment as like almost a thought bubble in a comic book like that's something yeah 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 like something you when you try to if you were to read it in a comic book or in a book or whatever like you would think to yourself how how do i even translate that translate this on screen mm-hmm. i think this is a very clever way to do so yeah, yeah. and it's it's oh, it's it hurts yeah because it's not fiction Yes, hmm. um, and it's and it, and point and having people stare out at the camera and say this is how I feel and ha- having everybody like at least all the the um, ethnicity ethnicities represented in the film saying it hmm. and everyone having their piece to say I I feel as though that's Spike Lee saying you agree with at least something in all of this hmm. address that think about that I'm looking you in the eye. And I'm, and I know that you feel this way. Yeah. And yet somehow that community of people feeling that way, thinking that way, at least in this microcosm of Brooklyn in, in this movie, mm. can still live together. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's powerful. It's so, so yeah. powerful. It's so fascinating. Uh, the, the art direction, the sets in this, and the costuming. How vibrant was it? Like looking, like mm-hmm. it just, it was beautiful. Because oh, real Brooklyn doesn't look like that. No, no, and and that's the that's the fairy tale element of this. Mm. This is a fable. Mm-hmm. This this is a fable. It was a fable in '89, and it's a fable now. Yeah. The, and we've said it before. We'll we'll continue to say it. this movie is poignant as ever. Mm-hmm. A cop kills, chokes mm-hmm. a large black man yeah. to death. That just happened. It sounds very familiar. That just happened in New York as well. Uh, it's incredible, yeah. and I'm, I'm surprised more people didn't bring that up yeah i'm sure there were people saying it just not in the circles that i i follow mm. or that i'm in but the 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 scene of this happening in the movie yeah. is insanely parallel uh-huh. to to the events that occurred absolutely um, um i and we'll we'll be discussing more of the current events later and i want to get back to talking about art and art and whatnot but i did i do want to mention that i was i wanted to to bring up names mm. when we discuss some of the unfortunate losses we've had because yes. of police brutality of uh, because of the violence in the inner city mm. cities of the country i can't i that list is over 600 names long just for 2016 yes yeah they were uh i i use this source a lot um the guardian did a research uh they, they have a like a counter kill um, counter, yeah. kill counter and you can go to kill but killed by cops.net mm. mm. and see the list of every <laughs> individual has been killed by a police officer in this country yeah and the total of last year 
was like 1100 plus and we're not even half well we're practically halfway through a year but we're we're about to beat that number it's on the pace that we're going terrible yeah and um i think just another reason why like i'm so thankful that art exists because mm-hmm. like I, I know certain things are, are frivolous and you know a lot of things are used to just escape which is which is fine it helps heal and whatnot but mm-hmm. like these kind of movies like do the right thing it really brings the microscope back to the issues at hand of why this is happening because mm-hmm. like we keep asking why but this is this came out in 1989 and i just can't believe how fresh the wound still feels mm-hmm. you know like it's 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 truly depressing <laughs> truly depressing <laughs> and, and yet there is there maybe it's because of the colors maybe it's because mm-hmm. of the set maybe it's because of the the vibrance of all the performances yeah there is a an odd optimism Hmm. and an odd joy in this movie Hmm. and and it's heartbreaking but at the same time there's there is hope Hmm. in this film uh the the color aspect of it considering it as a fable yeah it it addresses what needs to be addressed but it also doesn't address certain things that i'm i'm certain were an issue there was there was no mention of the drugs Hmm. that are clearly a problem in in inner city yeah not just brooklyn itself but it addressed in a in a cartoonish color book way Mm. the races the race issue the races and their issues with Mm. each other and it and it honed in on that and that is also a credit to spike lee as a filmmaker because he could have opened that umbrella to so much more Mm. which i do feel in his in some of his other films he he opens that umbrella too wide yeah that he loses his voice, uh, yeah. or at least his message and his yeah. themes. This movie, the themes are clear, mm. and that's 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 fantastic. That's, yeah, that's that's a, a credit to him as a filmmaker and a storyteller. Um, it's so wonderfully conscious, man. Like, there's so many things that I just picked up watching it two years later that mm-hmm. I didn't realize. There's so much. There's a lot of micro issues in here too, as well, under that big umbrella of racism. Because then, yeah. you know, you have. Uh, bugging out, talking about gentrification with the yeah, Larry Bird guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <And> gentrification! <laughs> just just small little things like that that you kind of... Um, I think in a lesser capable director, mm-hmm. it it would have went on and on and on. And like you said, the voice would have been lost within the grand the grand scale of everything. Yeah, yeah. So I Trying really to talk about that. too much. Yeah. yeah. It, um, <laughs> keep going. It, it became like a... It would have became a message movie rather than a movie with a message. Ooh, good. Yeah. Which is kind of a vast difference. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's what you're kind of alluding to as mm-hmm. well, was how Spike's career kind of trailed off. <laughs> uh, it's right from the get-go. Yeah. It's definitely 1993. Yeah. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, not 99. It's 89. definitely 1989. Which is so cool because like, that, that style is kind of like in right now. <laughs> <laughs> the opening up with Rosie Perez dancing to Public Enemy and that song was commissioned for this movie yes that was I did not realize that mm-hmm. that this song was made for that movie Spike Lee specifically reached out to Public Enemy to, to mm. write the anthem of this movie yeah it uh that, that's how like transcend transcendental this song was like I didn't realize it was from this movie mm-hmm. or made for this movie at least now I want to talk about the opening sequence on the song real quick because okay, um, yeah, yeah. What I kind of noticed was like how fun it was, but then the rest of the movie was not so fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it's kind of like almost tricking because you know how that that saying goes where you know we we love black culture but we don't love black people yeah i mean like not we that was the royal we he meant that as a blanket general statement but yeah not, not like <laughs> we you, love black people <laughs> <laughs> uh-oh that clip's gonna get taken out of context real quick <laughs> uh but like you know, dealing with things like with appropriation and whatnot and like how even jesse williams addressed it in his really powerful speech at the bet awards mm-hmm. you know wearing wearing us like costumes and then throwing away like strange rhymes of uh, like rhymes of strange fruit that was such like a powerful statement mm-hmm. and it's still continuing today especially in music pop music i mean Katy perry is rolling rolling around wearing dreadlocks and stuff like that with yeah. like white background dancers it's not no one's batting an eye and i just think that it's so great for all the folks who are like not particularly aware or interested in black issues they come to a movie like this it's vibrant it's fun there's hip-hop there's everything you like about black culture mm-hmm. And then it kind of tricks you into seeing something sociopolitical. Yeah, and yeah. it and it gets there. Yeah, like the as the sun is setting, mm-hmm. as the light is no longer being shown on these bright colors. Yeah, it gets to the darkness. It it's gets very to slow lore. Yeah, the everything about the movie changes mm. as the heat gets to everyone. As yeah, the as the powder keg goes off. Mm-hmm. Uh, that opening sequence is Spike Lee has said in interviews was inspired by the opening of Bye Bye Birdie. Bye 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 bye, birdie. If you is this uh, the play? The play, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, there was a there was a f- film release of oh, it starring okay. Dick Van Dyke, hmm. and uh, Anne Margaret sings the opening song just on a backdrop, and she sings to the camera and she moves around. It's all very hmm. theatrical and fun. And he was inspired by that to create the set. Yeah, that she she's not standing on the streets. She's on a stage. Rosie Perez's character, hmm. and she's dancing to the music, and uh, the. The color scheme of what's going on there, the red, the heat of the day, also representing the anger yeah. that's boiling underneath them. Uh, at one point, she's in the boxing gear, mm. and she's wearing black and white. Yeah. And... Uh, oh, that's really fascinating. Yeah. And, I didn't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> and her, and, and the intensity on her face yeah. and performing it. Uh, I watched a neat little analysis video that it may have been inspired by uh, Bye Bye Birdie. Mm. But there's another thing in 1989 that was very popular that's almost identical to this, but at the same time very different, and that's the opening to The Cosby Show. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, that is. And, and you laugh, uh, but The Cosby Show, that family lived in a brownstone in Brooklyn. Mm. They are a very affluent family. Yeah. Uh, it's an unrealistic portrayal of brooklyn at that time mm. it was a, a fantasy yeah to have them dancing <laughs> i think that's why there's still it's such a debate within the black community of whether or not bill cosby was doing them any favors back then because he kind of well i, I wanted to get into this later too but like he kind of perpetuated respectability politics like if i can do it you can do it too blah 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 yeah. and so on and so forth and kind of ignoring systemic and institutional issues that mm. are kind of holding a community back and that, that's a kind of a funny comparison because I didn't think about that, but yeah, that that was happening at the exact same time, mm-hmm. and and it's a it was a misrepresentation of the struggles that were really going on yeah. for Brooklyn, and even this movie itself, we'll go back to say it is not a full reality of the situation that was at hand. It's mm-hmm. an addressing of the themes and the problems of the time. Absolutely. Uh, the but that opening sequence is and for the for for someone who's more. Uh, well versed in and has a, a knowledge for dance mm. and interpretive dance and the artistry of ballet and and performing and, and painting pictures with movement. Yeah, 
that whole opening sequence tells the story of the movie. Yes, it yeah. does, which is so cool. Like it, if you were, if you're, I know like our modern sensibilities are kind of tend to be impatient, but like if you're wi- willing to kind of wait it out, it's mm-hmm. like it's almost a micro movie in and of itself. I completely forgot that opening sequence. Mm-hmm. So as it was playing out, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah this feels so long, mm-hmm. and I had to, I had to like, no, no, just <laughs> accept it for and respect it and. Um, the it's, uh, Rosie Perez. I don't like Rosie Perez. <laughs> what do you mean, TC? She she popped on the screen, and I went to write the note. She's still annoying, but I decided <laughs> no. I I'm just prejudging here mm-hmm. because I I have it's it's rewatchment. We have to reevaluate. <laughs> the first words out of her mouth is like, nope, still annoying. <laughs> she is so obnoxious. She's the, this was her debut. It was. Yeah. Um, I mean, I. I guess the the way she portrays herself as a human parakeet, it's like <laughs> it's so <laughs> it's it's it makes it hard to remember that she's such a talented dancer because she was yeah. a choreographer on in Living Color as mm-hmm, well. She was mm-hmm. one of the legendary Fly Girls, and but yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, I was I like, you know what? I can't do it. <laughs> you know what, Mookie? If uh, if I if I had her in my life, I'd disappear for weeks at a time too. <laughs> <laughs> TC, don't you care about your baby? Don't you care about your baby? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it's not the character. It's it's actually just Rosie, it's just Rosie Press. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, the, but the song continues to come back. We open with that song, uh, The Public Enemy, uh, Fight the Power. It becomes Radio Rahim's theme. Yeah. He, it's, it's the song that comes back again and again. And strangely, not to the point of annoying because mm-hmm. there there are other movies that will reuse a song or there's tv shows that will do it from time to time we're like oh we got this pop hit we're gonna use it 10 times in the episode and it's like it, it becomes a problem yeah <laughs> it takes you out of the moment but the song was so part of the film it was a character yeah, yeah. and and it's interesting because the song is about uniting around stopping the institutionalized and systemic racism that exists mm-hmm. And it's about peace. Yes. Radio Rahim is the most, one of the most antagonizing characters in the whole movie. Mm. I know he has his love and hate um, brass knuckles. Yeah. But he's he's working with hate more than he's working with love. He's preaching a message of love, but mm. he is practicing hate. Yeah. Um, that heat got to him. That heat got to him. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, do you, do you know that? Have you the love and hate across the knuckles is actually from an older film? Is it? Yes, it's a uh, shit. I, just, <laughs> I totally I should have read it, wrote it down. It's a it's an old western, and it's a preacher character who. Have I ever told you the story of left hand right hand? It's not an exact duplication of the monologue, yeah. But it's the same idea where hmm. he has hate and love tattooed across his knuckles, oh. and he's speaking to these kids about the message of the importance of love and hate. Hmm. The character is a preacher who's also a serial killer. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? And so Radio Rahim kind of re-repeating uh, those that idea of, re- of restating that message for uh, an 89 at the time modern mm. audience. What does that say about him? That, yeah. That, it, that that monologue itself is inspired by a preacher serial killer. Yeah. That Radio Rahim is pe- preaching the love. And hate. It's a great monologue, mm. but he doesn't practice what he preaches. Yeah. It's almost like... It's so funny because, like, I know this is controver- like a controversial opinion, but 
like the things that were happening in uh, Ferguson and Baltimore and mm-hmm. how there was riots and looting and violence and whatnot. And, you know, obviously no one condemns that kind of behavior mm-hmm. and that should never be. Uh, Night, of, Night of the Hunter. Thank you, Candace. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I got to look that up now because that sounds interesting. <clears throat> like no one uh, condones that kind of behavior and, mm-hmm. uh, and using that as a vehicle for justice or whatever. But like, can you can you blame these people? Can you blame these people for after years and years of suffering and putting out with you know this garbage? To mm-hmm. be honest, like wh- if you push someone in a corner and they have nowhere to go, aren't they going to just have to fight back? Yeah, and it's, like it's the violence for self defense is intelligence. If, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll discuss the quotes later, but that's Mike, Malcolm X's message. It was so powerful that I mean, yeah, I think we can talk about the ending later too because that was so powerful, but like. I just think it's so interesting because every time Radio Rahim rolls up with his boombox mm-hmm. um, and he plays a song and people keep trying to shut him up, mm-hmm. it's almost like what's happening right now with all the art protesters who are trying to get their message across, you know, no matter how loudly they say it. Um, no one wants to take the time to kind of hear them out and try to hear their message, but rather hear, argue about semantics, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, and try to uh, incorporate respectability politics into it and whatnot instead of actually hearing what the problem is. Right. Yeah. It's hashtag all lives black matter versus black lives matter. Yeah. But it's, uh, it, it, there's what Spike Lee presents here in mm. Radio Ahim is it's not the message. Yeah. It's how the message is presented. Mm. And I'll break it down to as simple as this. When he walks up with that boom box to people of his own ethnicity, yeah. he lowers the volume with the love hand. Mm. When he walks up into sales and when he walks up to those Puerto Ricans, he turns the volume up with his hate hand. Ooh. And whether he's doing it consciously or not, mm. that is clearly a decision made by Spike for the yeah. character to do it. Uh, What's so, happened to you, Spike? So much so. That's so good. <laughs> so, so much so that in that Puerto Rican moment when he turns the volume up to outdo them, when he even raises the volume of his hate hand, the, the light glints off the hate to mm-hmm. direct your eye directly to it. Yeah. It's, it's, that's subtle. That's brilliant. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> that's freaking genius. <laughs> uh, but he, it, and the uh, bugging out, he's not wrong. Mm. They, Sal is in their neighborhood. Yeah. He, but he's been in their neighborhood for a long time. Mm. Why isn't he representing them when they're the the black culture? When yeah. the black culture is all that eat there? I've never seen an Italian in this place <laughs> in my life, and this is my place. Mm. You get your own place. <laughs> the oh gosh, and it's it's so difficult to see how far some of these characters are pushed, and then see what they do. Sal yeah. is an is an ally. Mm. He loves that neighborhood. He loves the people. He loves. That he has helped feed the children in this neighborhood for twenty years, he's watched them be, grow up on his food, and he's mm. proud of that fact. He clearly has a crush on <laughs> Mookie's sister. Yeah, like he's not—he's not inherently racist, mm. but he when they push him too far in the end, you mm. know, he, he uses that—he uh, slurs at them. Yeah, I do think that's his uh, his true nature came out in that moment, though. Yeah, like I do think he's. He has an inner racist. Yes. That's kind of the thing. Like, I, I was reading this article by this professor at a Northwestern, and she taught a film class, and um, half the students were white and half the students were black. Mm-hmm. And they, they kind of did an experiment where after we watched the film <clears throat> and they saw that ending, and it was a very devis- divisive ending, as we'll get to it, but <clears throat> like a lot of 
a lot of the white kids naturally sympathize with Sal. Yeah. And it makes sense because, you know, that he was the only white character. So, you know, you put yourself in the shoes of folks that you kind of identify with. Mm-hmm. But, like, everyone else was kind of the central figure of the film. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's it wasn't just the black kids that kind of sided with Mookie and his decision at the end, but, like, everyone that was not white. And it's it's kind of an interesting thing about talking about when you're you're centering whiteness in in these kind of narratives in movies and books and whatnot, mm-hmm. and like if you if you kind of look at Sal's actions, his words, mm-hmm. like he'll say stuff like "Yes, this is my neighborhood. These kids grew up on my food in private with his son and stuff like that." But like the way he treated his patrons, the way he kind of talked to them. You would have never guessed that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, I'm just wondering, what's what's really your M.O. guy? So, like, I wouldn't say he's the villain, but it's just like the rest of the film and the issues and stuff like that. It's very complex. Mm-hmm. Like, just how, just what can you brought up, brought up with uh, Ray Rahim as well. Like, he wasn't all that of a great of a guy either. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just kind of really fascinating. Not very black and white. It's, it's very that, gray. Yeah. yeah. And Sal, as I just said, he's proud of the fact that he fed and they grew up on his food and whatnot. Yeah. But that also seems patronizing on the other yeah. hand on the other hand he's and I, i'm not i don't want to paint sale as a villain he's not a villain yeah, he no. just he he like much of the people and characters in this are products of the times and the history yeah that that they exist in they're but, all kind of victims in a way mm-hmm. yeah Th- there's um an element of i'm going to use the tv show scrubs for a moment as mm-hmm. an example there's a doctor a female doc- surgeon who joins the uh, surgical teams and the guys in the surgical team are starting to like they're hitting on her they're treating her like the girl Mm -hmm. and turk keeps standing up for her and he's like hey guys come on she's an equal just like the rest of us and he feels proud of the fact that he's looking out for her he's like hey i got your back girl and she's like i don't need your you to get my back Mm. you are part of the problem yeah you aren't helping me by coddling for me mm-hmm. by defending i can defend myself yeah i don't need your gentleman your your fake gentleman mm. uh gentlemanness <laughs> and so, chivalry so it's chivalry thank yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> i like words i got an english degree uh sale in a similar pers- from a similar perspective you could look at what he's doing as not helping he he he, he believes he's helping but then on another side of the coin you're right he doesn't it's in some cases he's not showing that respect that he apparently has for yeah. it. But then to flip it back to the other hand, he and Mookie in the end can yell at each other hmm. and and be pissed at each other, but then walk away with a, with elements of respect for each other. Yeah, that was a really, I was really touched yeah. by that ending. I thought it was a very poignant scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with the quotes that follow with the end. But, yeah. Um, yeah, there's just so much. <laughs> I need to find my notes so we don't get, get to the end already. <laughs> get your notes. Get your notes. Uh, um, I, I have a section I want to discuss, but if you have notes right up, let's you because I feel like I've been dominating. Oh, uh, no worries. Um, how about... Okay. I, I got one. Okay. I got one. And then I'll let you go. No. Um, so there's this scene where I felt affected immediately because of all the current events. Mm-hmm. Um, this was probably like at the end of the first act when... Uh, the neighborhood kids kind of hose that Italian guy in his convertible. <laughs> He's like, you better not spray. You better not spray this car. This is an antique. I swear to God. <laughs> about a bang, about a boom. <laughs> Speaking of stereotypes. <laughs> but 
Um, he was on The Sopranos too, by the way, right? Yes. Like he yeah. he looks so familiar. Um, <clears throat> immediately when the cops show up after he's started complaining and whatnot, and everyone kind of scatters, like they treat him in such a calm cool demeanor and fashion and respectful too even though he was hooting and hollering and cursing and saying the n-word and blah 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 and this and that waving his arms being very like being very like disruptive right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and with with everything that's had has happened within the last week or two you've seen videotapes of people being compliant or people being held against their will physically and still having their lives ended um it's just kind of a ridiculous double standard to this day and this is 1989 and once again this is one of the things that jumped right out at me because i mean i don't, I don't this is just open to discussion because i didn't really have anything to prompt with this but like i just thought it was a moment that hit me really hard cause yeah it was like, i didn't it and and that didn't dawn on me all i could think was that guy it was like shut up you mm. shouldn't this you shouldn't have you should have not come this way. Like yeah. I, I was aggravated at that guy for for coming this way and and being so disrespectful to the area. Yeah. Like why did you go through this neighborhood, dummy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then to be like, I want someone arrested. Like mm-hmm. you can't. Come on, man. This is not an arrestable offense. Yeah. Calm down. So I was annoyed for him. But you're right. The the fact that they're like they were sarcastic as hell to him. What, yeah. what was his name? Mo and Joe. Oh, so they were brothers. Like there's yeah, a sar- the brothers. <laughs> there's, a, there's a sarcasm that the cops give him, but you're right. Uh, when the cops are involved with anyone else, mm. it's aggression. Look, look at how they drive past the three older black men. Yeah, and they just glare mm-hmm. at them, and they and it's this it's this silent moment. Yeah, the, car, the cop car just rolls by, and the cops just watch mm. the three old guys sitting there, and they just stare at them. It's almost like a warning, right? Like even if you blink, we'll be watching. And the and the three older black men who've mm. experienced far more than the young blacks uh, black kids in the in the movie mm. are just looking right back. Yeah, and it's this cultural showdown mm. represented in that sixty seconds or so. It's like a decades long Mexican standoff. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, uh, and it's. Watching a moment like that, it's uh, some of the events that occur in the movie and that have been happening in reality. That mm. so I uh, I went to work uh, over at the theater last week after everything that went down in Dallas and everything that went down leading up to that, mm. and I could feel myself wanting to apologize for being white. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's funny, but I yeah. I, I genuinely felt like what the hell can I do? I've mm. I have no sense of this reality mm. i understand what's happening but i, I don't experience it yeah. like others do mm. um and there's a, a friend at the co-worker and uh, someone i'd like to call a friend uh, asia mm. who i she's she's got she has a little podcast herself that she only does intermittently i've she's got great opinions about uh society and and culture and the the way systems work and i'm like hey how are you how how are you doing how are things she's like well, i'm fine i'm fine i'm good i'm yeah. like Wait, but how? How are? I'm sorry, my my. I'm I'm feeling very white guilty right now. And, and she laughed and and she gave me a hug and she's like, "You're funny. Oh, come on, get out of here." And and we went our separate ways. And I was like, I don't know if that was to make me feel better or to somehow yeah. make her feel better. She came up to me later and thanked me and she's like, mm. "Hey, I know that was really weird and you're weird for doing it." <laughs> But uh, I appreciate the sentiments. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I say to you sometimes, I don't know 
It's, I'm certainly not trying to make this about me. No, no, no. Like, I think this is an interesting conversation. Because I do think about it a lot ever since you told me about it, how you felt um, when things like this happened. Because I think I myself never want you to feel that way because mm-hmm. I think it's not it's anti-productive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do understand how you feel because that whole week was a shit show. Yeah. And I felt... I cried, man. I cried when that um, when Philando Castile's wife had to do a press conference after she was held in jail overnight without food, water, or phone call, yeah. and her husband died <laughs> in the most brutal way that was broadcast live to the entire nation online. And she was so strong, and all these words just filled me up with like, I have to do something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, like you said, I have no sense of this reality. Like as much as I am a minority of this in this country and it's it's portrayed here with the korean americans in the in the film as well but like it's such a different experience and i am i am also privileged in a way where i don't have to worry about being pulled over by a cop or being you know uh apprehended in a violent way if mm-hmm. that situation were to happen because i am like a skinny asian kid who's <laughs> who's often looked as a nerd <laughs> and i i have no intimidating you know vibes from me whatsoever and so just like you know i I tried to, in a way, if anything that I can, just try to educate myself on what's mm-hmm. what's happening. Um, you know, this this whole Black Lives Matter movement is important to me, and I don't think, in any way, shape, or form, this is anti-cop. No, it's it's to understand a struggle that has been going on. Like, if MLK was here, he would be pro Black Lives Matter. Like, mm-hmm. there's no doubt about that. And people trying to spin him in a way where he's it's like almost like a bastardized version of mlk and we're like oh we we need to be colorblind everyone's the same blah 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 like it's, it's like no everyone <laughs> is not but we need to accept that yeah <laughs> it's it's almost ridiculous this kind of conversation because like i was alluding to earlier it's strictly an argument about semantics you mm-hmm. know all lives matter came out came about as a contradiction as a way to say whoa, whoa, whoa wait wait let let me be defensive and try yeah. to say hey you know that's that's not the case but if Black Lives Matter was a problem, mm. but Blue Lives Matter is not, yeah. then the problem was the word black. Mm-hmm. And if you're part of that, you're part of the problem. There's no better way to sum that up. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and and the cops that were slain and yesterday too in Baton Rouge, like I believe yeah. two cops were were gunned down. And like, there's there's no justification for that. No, there, that's no. not the way to solve. I was, Anything and and I want to come back to do the right thing in a moment. But yeah. when when that happened, mm-hmm. I just all right. Sorry, I want to segue two mm-hmm. different ways. First of all, when situations like these happen, when when an innocent person is killed, yeah. when someone who is killed by an officer or mm-hmm. an officer is killed by someone, when someone dies, I have empathy. I am yeah. a I am an empathetic. I'm a very emotional person, mm-hmm. and I care, and yeah. I and I and I weep, and I feel that I don't care what the nationality is. I don't care what the orientation is, whether it's race or creed or sexuality. I don't care. Mm. I am moved to and pained mm. by these situations, and that's humanity. You yeah. hear it all the time. There's not there's not races. There's one race. We're, we're human, but yeah. we're of multiple colors. Mm. Um, I'm just... <laughs> like a, a quote that got me really and I, and I, it's kind of long but I'll try to sum it up a little bit but it really got to me because as of late I try to be engaged as much as possible within the political and activism spectrum mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider myself an activist at all because there's people putting their bodies on the line for me 
but like I, I want to contribute in any fashion that I can. And I feel like for me, just speaking for myself, this is no time for me to be apolitical because I think being apolitical is sort of a privilege because when your identity is being attacked on a daily basis, you have no choice but to take a side. Mm-hmm. And um, Eli Weasel, a Weasel, Weasel, I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> but uh, he, he's a Holocaust survivor, he's a Nobel Peace Prize winner, and he says, we must take sides. Neutrality helps the, oppress- the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Sometimes we must interfere. When human lives are endangered, when human dignity is in jeopardy, national borders and sensitivities become irrelevant. Whenever men and women are persecuted because of their race, religion, or political views, that place at that moment must become the center of the universe. And that was like the most powerful statement I could have read that week because it goes against everything that we were taught to be colorblind, to be apolitical, to just not take sides, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. be neutral all the time. And like when it comes down to it's obviously the problems are not as simple as black and white or right and wrong, but when it comes down to maybe right and wrong or good or bad, shouldn't you take a side? You know what I mean? Like it's it's just so hard to be a bystander and have insurmountable evidence saying this one thing. Mm-hmm. Like Alton Sterling and Philando Castile and the five cops in Dallas and two in Baton Rouge. Like there's, there was a shooting in Fullerton that was not even um, broadcast on mass media. You know what I mean? Like a Latino kid was, was shot by a cop mm-hmm. in a moving car. He was unarmed. He was just a kid, and it was in Fullerton. Our basically <laughs> like down the block. <laughs> yeah, basically our backyard our, where you and I spent the last almost decade. Yeah, <laughs> and it hurts when you see stuff like this to happen to people, but it hurts even more when you kind of realize the bigger issue that we're not willing to address. And the fact that we're not willing to address it makes it continue to perpetuate and happen over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like I I like to use this analogy as like, if you, if you see a wound, an infected wound, and you don't clean it or deinfect it or treat it in any sort of fashion, you just keep putting bandages over and over again it's just gonna affect the rest of the body. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of the problem. Like, I don't have the answers. I ain't got the answers, TC, but like. I don't think anyone does. But talking about it now, I think I have a better understanding of it than I did like two hours ago before I rolled up to your house. You know what I mean? Like, I have a better understanding and I have a better, clearer vision of what I want to do to at least try to contribute and help. Because I'm tired of sitting on my hands. I'm tired of just like, Watching films for fun. Mm-hmm. I want to watch things to understand. I want to help people heal because, like, I I know what's like to lose someone, but I don't know what's like to lose someone in that fashion. Mm-hmm. That is so grisly. You know what I mean? <laughs> like watching that press conference with, I believe her name's Diamond Reynolds. Her her, her uh, boyfriend was Philando Castile, the Minnesota shooting. Mm-hmm. That was. That was the most heart-wrenching thing I have. Like, just thinking about it right now, I can't even, like, muster out the words because... You don't want to cry in front of me. It's just, <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> it just takes so much strength, you know, and I, I don't think I have that. I don't... I, I As we were leading up to, we were going to watch this, we were going to discuss it, I, I, wanted, I knew that we we're not the two most logical voices yeah. to be discussing the relationship between blacks and whites, mm. we're we're not yeah. because we don't exactly live in that in that culture. But we're not. We're two like goofy suburban <laughs> kids. <laughs> but but what's in what is what we are trying to do and what we are willing to do mm. is we want to have a dialogue about this. We're yes. not we're not avoiding this conversation. Mm. 
and you you are an activist. What you're doing with NBC Asian America is activism. I feel like I know you you probably feel like that's false. Yeah. But in the changes you've made in the past year mm-hmm. as a person, I've seen it. And I can see you raising this flag of awareness so much so you're always very encouraging you, you know you 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 know that I use film and storytelling as an escape and you're always very encouraging of like no stop escaping <laughs> say something and then my response to that is I am saying something you just have to look below these goofy stories I tell it's mm. like we're a goofy podcast and two nerds who are talking about but listen to what we're saying and how we're saying it there yeah. is something being there is a message here hmm. and I, I do feel you are an activist um, but what what art is doing in this film escaping to this fable of Brooklyn 1989 that's as pointed today in 2016 is that nothing is is black and white hmm. and nothing is what it seems you have to look further yeah and I'd like to I'd like to discuss a scene from the movie that nearly addresses the issues of the pro- that are a problem today hmm. and it's the scuffing of the sneaker yes so clifton is the character wearing the larry bird shirt i didn't realize he had a name he did. Yeah, it's, in, <laughs> it's in the credits uh he walks by i was born in brooklyn okay? bu- bugging out right and he scuffs his shoe hmm. and bugging out like, his, hey, his brand new his jordan brand new jordan spent a hundred dollars hundred dollars american money like <laughs> And he, he confronts Clifton. Clifton is, and, and, and the camera angle is using this, that that, that bug guy gets the dominant lower angle. Mm. like, And Clifton gets the even angle. He's yes. not even put into submission. As the conversation goes on, Clifton goes up the stairs. Dom, then he's winning the conversation. And bug guy, but bug guy's angle doesn't move mm. because he's not going to change his opinion about what happened here. And it's, you know, what are you doing in my neighborhood? This is gentrification. You don't belong here. Go back to wherever you came from. And the end of the conversation is, I was born in Brooklyn. <laughs> and everyone goes, oh, you lost, you lost the conversation. Here's the thing. Yeah. He didn't scuff Bug Eye's shoe because Bug Eye's right shoe got scuffed. And Clifton Ooh. crossed on the left side. Mm. He bumped him on the left, yeah. not the right. Ooh. So it shows that Bug Eye leapt to that conclusion. Mm. And it and it shows that he has he has uh, prejudice in his heart as well. Yeah, that it's not as clear as black and white. It's not as clear as this side or the other. It's perception and it's misperception. Yes. And Clifton doesn't raise he doesn't raise to the bait of wanting to have a fight about this. He's just like I'm just trying to get home, man. <laughs> I, I live here. <laughs> I just want to enjoy my Jamba Juice. <laughs> but it's the scuffing of the right, but blaming the left. Yeah. You have a good eyes. <laughs> I, won't, I won't claim credit for a lot of these. These. Yeah. These. Um, in preparing for this and trying to find information, and mm. little, I like finding little trivia and whatnot that uh, these ideas will be planted in my head. So I don't want to. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> and it plays so well to Bugging Out's character because he is such a defensive, outbursful kind of guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like. All these things that he's talking about, like representation and gentrification, are very real things and should be addressed. But he's addressing them in the absolutely wrong way. He has the widest eyes. Yeah. He should see the most, but mm. he has some of the most narrow vision in the yeah. entire movie. Mm. 
And performed so well, by the way, by Giancarlo Esposito, who is also Gus Fring in Breaking yes. Bad. Holy cow! I did not realize it was him! Why isn't he in more Holy things? God. That was Gus from Breaking that Bad. That was Gus. Oh my god, I did not know that. Oh my god, that's amazing. He's a master thespian. Bravo, bravo. Can you believe that? Woo! Like two polar opposite characters. But That is incredible. <laughs> But I think that's so great, especially, like, um, I love that you brought up Dear White People earlier because even though Dear White People kind of deals more with, like, um, classism and so- so- socioeconomic statuses, mm-hmm. both do the right thing and Dear White People, what they do really well is, like, they kind of, at first the broader view is, like, kind of critiquing white institutions, but once you dive in deeper to it, the context is also uh, readily available in the conversation of... Uh, Black folks being open to having dialogue and critiquing each other. Mm-hmm. And, like, obviously we're no authority to talk about that, but, like, amongst each other, I think that's such an important thing because, like, to empower yourselves, you have to you have to talk about it amongst each other as well. Um, this is the kind of thing that we talk about in, in our circles, too, Asian-American uh, activism circles, because after this went down, we wanted to address uh, anti-blackness in our communities because for the longest time and you can see like the rift between the Korean store owner and the black folks of the community like even though they were both they're both technically people of color minorities and whatnot in mm-hmm. their communities they're still very much at odds because there's such a cultural barrier as well as a uh, and I don't want to make a blanket generalization but like so many uh, a lot of times what Asian immigrants who want to come over here, they want to achieve success and they want to do it in, in like the respectful manner or whatnot. But mm-hmm. like sometimes they don't realize that they're trying to achieve whiteness rather than rightness, I guess. They're, they they're, they're foregoing their culture yeah. to try to succeed. And you don't have to forego your culture to succeed. Mm-hmm. You can embrace your culture and succeed. And, and a lot of times we kind of perpetuate this idea of like, anti-blackness and anti-brownness a lot on the way to succeeding mm-hmm. so that's why like you don't know how many times at the dinner table i have this conversation with my extended family members like you should be proud to be asian because you know look at how long we've been in this country and look how fast we've mobilized and like gone up the ladder and stuff like that look at latinos and black folks they're still at where they are hundreds of years and blah blah, blah. i'm just like please stop <laughs> please please stop and i'm so proud that our community actually came together and drafted a letter actually addressing the issues and the letter has circulated it's gone viral and it's been translated and over like hey so you posted this yeah, yeah it's really fascinating because i myself i'm as of late i'm very like not very proud of the fact that i can't read write and speak very well anymore in vietnamese but mm-hmm. i'm i'm so happy that there's a resource like this where they drafted a letter about how basically the letter says you know like i have black friends um i grew up with black people there's these certain things that are effect- ish there's these certain issues that are affecting their communities that we must stand up for and it, basically it's about what black lives matter is and why i stand for it and mm-hmm. it's translated in over 50 different asian languages now i think other languages too mm-hmm. other communities have caught on and i'm just so glad that there's a vietnamese one because like this is something that i would love to talk to about my family within our circles because like um this this is a good tangent. Okay. I'll, I'll circle around. Sorry, no, no don't okay. apologize. Um, I screened Selma with Bradley Bradford Young recently at UCI, and he's the DP for mm-hmm. Selma. 
And it's just so fascinating to hear him talk because he's so not reserved when it comes to talking about black issues and like white supremacy and institutionalized and systemic racism, especially in that industry. And like, I I just point blank asked him something because like everyone was asking him like, how do I make it as a DP? But it's yeah. just like, dude, why would you ask him that question? <laughs> That's not what this is about. <laughs> um, I just, I mean, I, once I asked it, like the you could hear a pin drop in the mm-hmm. room because the entire room was just full of like white and Asian kids and yeah. they're all from like very affluent families and whatnot. But I asked him like, how as an artist of color, do you navigate this very like, uh, white standard world and how do you get to a place where you can finally tell a story that's authentic to you and your community mm-hmm. and he was he just smiled immediately because like he's, it's almost like he's waiting for that question <laughs> <laughs> but he, I, i'll never forget what he told me man because he's like he said rest your weary bones because the executives that are kind of running the show like even though they're kind of clueless and they don't they're acting reacting out of fear mm-hmm. like they're thinking the same thing. How do we solve this and stuff like that, even though we don't understand? And he also said, like, know your history, know your stories. Like, like you're, you and your white in the white community, and me and my Asian American community and stuff like that. We need to know what happened in the past in order to kind of move forward. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's kind of that is the underlying issue in this film and what's going on right now is like we're kind of just. React not only reacting out of fear, but reacting out of this long, problematic uh, teachings of being colorblind, and like mm-hmm. everyone started the same way, and everyone has the same opportunities to upward mobility. Yeah, and so like I and just to wrap up like just a huge long rant that I don't know where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just this is just stream of consciousness, so please feel free to edit. Um, I won't. <laughs> I just I. I was, I'm just touched that there are creators out there like Bradford and like Spike Lee. Like as much as I like to make fun of Spike Lee, I'm very appreciative of this film. Yeah. You know, like just to, just there's just so many things. Like, I I I'm not even mad about the portrayal of the Korean American store owners. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't like the accents, but mm-hmm. I like it. It touches on a, something that you don't you don't see often because when we're talking about race, it's so binary. It's black and white. You mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially in film. And especially in the the LA riots in the 90, 1992, a lot of businesses were Korean-owned businesses, and that's why there's such almost like a resentful, resentful grudge held between Asian American and Black communities for so long, mm-hmm. is because like we kind of refuse to see the over overlying or underlying problem of like you know Black folks are mad, <laughs> but we're simply mad because our property was damaged. It's kind of like bodies or it's like properties over bodies you know do you mm. care about your property more than black bodies being slaughtered in the streets and so that's just like another many fascinating complex co- conversations to be had but like it's really interesting to learn about this especially during that time because like i was only a year old <laughs> to date myself yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i i'm only becoming aware of these things in the last couple of years so like it's just blowing my mind that there's movies like this and i didn't realize it existed there, there's a great moment of the three elderly black men and the one on the left, I'm afraid their names escape me, where he's mad at the Koreans for moving in to that boarded up condemned oh, yeah. building. How dare they come in here? Mm-hmm. We should we should get them out of here. Uh, we should build a build business of our own. Yeah. And the guy on the far right is say, says, oh, yeah, when, you, you always say that. Sweet but, dick, Willie. But when are you going <laughs> to do it? Yeah. You can't keep saying mm. I'm going to do something about this. Where's your business? Uh-huh. 
you are you are not doing anything but speaking. Yeah. And when he does go, when that when that third guy on the left wants to go or to, okay, I'm gonna take action and it's gonna burn this place down. <laughs> it's like wrong action, buddy. Yeah. They didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And and you need to relax. Mm-hmm. And the Korean owner saying, I'm I'm black. I'm like you. Yeah. I'm like you. Uh. I'm not. I'm I'm with you. Yeah. And you know he laughs it off, and he, he's like, "Okay, you're funny." But, <laughs> Remember that time when I tried to burn your place down? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it's it's that moment of blame them for your problem. Yeah, I'm mad because he has a successful business. I should have a successful mm. business, but instead of going out and doing something about it, I'm just going to complain about it. Yeah. Actions will always speak louder than words, mm. good and bad. The actions of the characters in this movie yeah. speak so much more mm. than the words that they are saying. Yeah, their words are great, but it's the actions that are are m- more important. Mm. Okay, um, sister, mother, she she's weeping yeah. at what happens to the neighborhood. No, no, no! Not ninety seconds earlier in that movie, she's screaming, "Burn it down!" Mm. She's saying, "Yeah, get that store." Yeah, her actions speak louder. She's she can't cry over mm. what's happening, but just a moment earlier, say burn it down. That's yeah. that's it. And she's a, she's a great character. The whole, all the elderly characters, the older generation, the mayor, the mayor himself. The mayor himself is a fantastic character in this. He's everywhere in the neighborhood. Yeah, people treat him with respect, and they don't treat him with respect. Mm. They treat him with respect for his title, but they don't treat him for with respect for his experience. Yeah. Uh, Martin Lawrence, uh, Tommy, Dave, I think it's Tommy Davidson. The the four characters that there's yeah. the three and the the three guys and the girl uh, who are running around the neighborhood. Mm. Uh, they they treat him with no respect. You know, you're just yeah. some drunk. You're just some bum. Don't call me that. Mm. You have no idea. Yeah, what I've done. You don't know what it's like to cry for your family. Where is his family? Mm. Like, there's there's so much in what he says in that he had a history. He has so much history in what he says. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I wouldn't cry for my family. I'd go out and get a job. Yeah. I wouldn't do this. I would do that. And it's a lot of talk versus action. Mm. Um, the, such a the the two those two par- conversations parallel so much the the older black folks and versus the Korean store owners mm-hmm. and the kind of generational gap between Martin Lawrence's gang and the mayor mm-hmm. is such a fascinating conversation because it's so much more complex than just like um, talk versus action as well. That's why that's kind of like the critique uh, and the conversation that's having that they're kind of having amongst each other that we would never understand. And it's like, I think respectability politics plays such a big factor in those conversations because it's saying like, you know, if I can do it, blah blah blah. It's such it's such an ableist attitude. You know what I mean? Like, like we don't know what the mayor's gone through. Mm-hmm. Like, I would be fascinated to see a spinoff to see what happened in his uh, earlier. Uh, prominent years to how he became homeless and a drunk on the streets you know yeah. like and and the like the you don't see you don't you won't know this until you kind of research more but like black folks have a hard time getting loans that's why they don't have businesses and stuff like that mm-hmm. and that's why it's so it's such a fascinating fascinating thing to have these conversations especially with an art because you don't realize it until someone kind of sparks that idea and provokes that thought and then you go find it for yourself and you're like oh my god yeah this is happening. <laughs> and so like, it's so easy to get trapped into a superficial conversation. Like this is talk versus action mm-hmm. when it's like, 
so many of these things. And obviously, you know, you never want to make an excuse for like, oh, I have all these bears and blah, blah, blah I couldn't do it. But like, there's some t- some things were out of your control in general. Mm-hmm. And like the mayor's story was especially heartbreaking because even though he saved that kid from getting hit by the truck or the car or whatever, mm-hmm. people were still yelling at him. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah. There's history in this is from 89. Yeah. And it's still so poignant today. Yeah. And we can see a moment like near the end of the movie when. Mm when Radio Ahim gets choked out, and it's so real because it just happened. Yeah. When the fire hoses are turned on those people and someone shouts, what is this, Birmingham? Yeah. I I, – don't do that. You can't do that. That, And there was no point in doing that. Mm. It was – the situation escalated so quickly in there. But to see the the historical echoes, to see Radio Ahim – echoed into the future to see those fire hoses turn and no no i know i know my history mm. i know my history of the south yeah. and that is wrong yeah <laughs> you don't turn fire hoses on black people like mm. that because there is it's an echo of the history before yeah and uh it's it's just yeah. this this movie do the right thing is such an incredible film mm. <clears throat> and, and we can wrap up discussing the film and we can proceed to talk about some of the social things. But uh, what other notes might you have on here? Uh, I I have two left on my book here. I have... Oh, my God, there's so much. <laughs> All right, I'll try to... Well, one thing... I in... have two things okay. that I definitely want to talk about. But, yes. The, the <clears throat> voice of Senior Mr. Love Doctor... Uh, uh, Sam Jackson. Sam, Sam Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> he he is the vo- the voice of this play of yeah. this story of this show. He is the the all seeing eye of what happens. I saw it, but I don't believe it. I believe it even if I, even though I saw it. Hmm. He's constantly changing his hats because he's someone who is willing to accept different perspectives. Though he's trapped in his booth, looking through the glass, the window in front of him, experiencing life from behind a screen hmm. he is willing to let those events occur and have an opinion about it and hmm. be willing to change his opinion and yeah. accept his opinion he's sam jackson's character is this odd otherworldly voice this godly voice this yeah. sentient voice that is uh, is speaking for everyone hmm. he's not speaking just for one character to the other. He's speaking for everyone and to everyone over the course of the film. He's almost like our avatar. Yeah. 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 He's he's the narrator without being the narrator. It's it's really quite good writing. It's really quite good direction and, and choices made in that character. So from a just from a filmmaker's perspective and a storyteller's perspective, mm-hmm. I love that character and, and how Sam Jackson performs. Oh, it looks like he was having so much fun. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this wide shot of uh, Mookie having a conversation with forgot who it was he was having a conversation with someone on the sidewalk mm-hmm. and it was right in front of the radio station and this was before he was about to deliver the um chicken and parmesan to uh, sam jackson's mm-hmm. character and in the wide you can see them talking in kind of like the left centered uh part of the frame and then you see sam jackson in the back he's it's almost like he's improvising yeah he's, he's just acting this. that guy yeah <laughs> he's like dancing <laughs> around and uh, yes, that was uh, he was so awesome. Mookie was walking with the younger son of Sales. Yeah, he talked to he talked to Bugging Out, and then went into um, went into. There's a cat having a thing right now. Cats out of the bag. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sam Jackson is just 
and he's not angry. Like mm. Sam Jackson is always he's always angry. <laughs> well, not always angry, but he mm. you typically think of that aggressive Sam Jackson. Yeah, that's but true. He plays such a a, 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 a good spirited character. He was so it's, cheerful. Yeah, full of life. Was, my favorite line was like, "And the weather forecast for today." Hot. <laughs> <laughs> I goofily opened with his with a couple of lines, uh, so quoting him for. It was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> for those who listen, you're like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> um, you should do one man show. I uh, do do the right thing, the one man show. <laughs> I want Sam Jackson to narrate my biopic. <laughs> <laughs> Quick little tangent: Did mm. you see the HBO release Sam Jackson narrating Game of Thrones? No, that's a thing. A, for those of you. Just to, and when I want to go back to your notes here, but Sam Jackson did a recap of six seasons of Game of Thrones in about five minutes. It's hilarious. It's just like, and these are the Starks. Don't get attached. <laughs> Anyhow, I love that man. What, what else you got over here? Um, let's see. Fight the oh, power. This is awesome. Fight, fight, we fight, touched on a lot of things, actually. So I have two things. I know this is kind of harking back to some earlier. Uh, conversations but i have a point to make and then we can go to the ending if you like unless you sure. have yeah uh, yeah yeah. No. so i thought the pino and mookie conversation in the pizza parlor was really cool like mm-hmm. when he pulls pino aside and it's like who's your favorite basketball player magic johnson who's your favorite actor eddie murphy who's your favorite musician prince <laughs> it's sinatra it's Prince. no it's springsteen springsteen it's bruce bruce it's, no it's, it's prince, prince. <laughs> you realize they're all black right and he's like Nah, they're not black. I mean, they're black, but they're not black, black. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and it's kind of like, it's calling out that contradiction we kind of have as a collective of, we love so much black culture, but we don't happen to care about black people. When when these kind of things, like, like something trivial and as frivolous as the Kim Kardashian and Taylor Swift feud, feud that happened last night. As hilarious as that was, as that was I love all the gifs. <laughs> um, Selena Gomez came out and said, "Like, you know, shouldn't we use our platforms for something more important?" Blah blah blah, saying that. But then someone called her out for never stating anything about the events that happened within the last week, or not not even stating Black Lives Matter and stuff mm-hmm. like that. She's like, Psh, "Hashtags don't save lives. I have better things to do with my time." Blah blah. blah. But she quickly deleted it. However. Everything on the internet lives forever, yeah, one, Selena. Once it's on the internet, it's there forever. Yeah, and I'm not one for like tabloid gossip or anything, but I think that is a clear example of I'm every, everything we're doing as a mass collective. I don't think we're actively hating black people, or we're hating like this, or we're perpetuating. We are certainly perpetuating systemic racism by not acknowledging it, mm-hmm. but we're not hating black people. But that's kind of the thing, like this this calling out Pino of his like. You know, you love all these things that we do, but, like, why don't you ever stand up for us? Why don't you ever speak up for us when something goes down mm-hmm. in our communities and stuff like that? Like, at one time, Italian-Americans were discriminated for being not white. Yeah. But now, as they... As, that's kind of the thing within the Asian-American community, too. Like, once you achieve whiteness, it seems like everything else is fair game. You can say whatever you want to any other community, and it's... It's... it's it, Like, it doesn't matter to you. You're not the minority anymore, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's why it's so not only problematic but incredibly frustrating because how do you kind of dismantle the system and all these things like you know the education system the prison pipeline the you know police brutality all these staggering increasingly frightening issues 
if you don't have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Like as simple as basketball and entertainment and stuff like that. It's it's sim- that simple enough to start with that point to get to the larger point. So it, I thought that yeah. conversation was so poignant. It's and it goes to you don't have to be colorblind. You need to accept that there are all races and nationalities and colors. Like yeah, just accept that that's a fact. Mm. Also accept the fact that we've all struggled. Yeah, in, every everyone in history mm. has been destroyed and t- torn down yeah. uh, my i come from irish descent yes and the irish in the in america did not have the easiest go with things. they did not even <laughs> to this day to a point because like i feel like irish representation in film is solely southie boston folks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's look there's different races yeah we're all different creeds and ethnicities mm. we've all faced struggles yeah can we all agree that's a fact? Yeah. Cool. Now mm-hmm. let's work together to stop those struggles. Yeah. Like it's everyone has a cross to bear. We can acknowledge that. No one is saying white lives don't matter. Yeah. We're just saying We already know it matters we, by our actions. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a matter of just yeah. It's that acceptance and what um, you have I think if we're willing not only to accept and acknowledge that there's a problem, but also be brave enough to differentiate the struggles mm-hmm. like you like you alluded to like obviously we all struggle but so different on a case-to-case basis like they vary so much like a lot of the like issues that i talk about are about representation but mm-hmm. i feel like that doesn't hold a candle i mean i don't want to trivialize it by any means i still will fight for it to the, the end of my breath like last breath or whatever but i will never have to face police brutality at least God willing, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> knock on wood, but that's not something I live on a day-to-day basis. That's not on my conscience, you mm-hmm. know, unless it's on the national news or whatever. And so, like, me as a privileged Asian American who, like, as much as I want to fight the model minority, there are certain benefits that I have gotten through the model minority status is, like, I can go under the radar mm-hmm. and people won't profile me for, like, being violent, you know, which is sad as hell that, that depresses me that devalues me just as much you yeah, know what i mean yeah and that's why like i would have never known this i am completely clueless to all of these issues since a few years ago you know what i mean like this is not something that i was taught at all within mm-hmm. my school system or families because we we're just kind of taught to keep our heads down and and just go with the flow and just work hard and never open your mouth that's kind of like that was kind of like how I was raised, you know what I mean? And I, I feel like there's other issues that can kind of contribute to that. Mm-hmm. But that is so like, I don't want to be like that anymore, TC. Like, well, you it, can't be. Because yeah. once, once your eyes have been open to subject yeah. something, you can't unsee it. You yeah. can't unlearn something. Uh, you you can only keep learning. Yeah. And, and it, when facing the police issues and the Black Lives Matter movement mm. and the terrorist issues and, and dealing with all that, all we can do is keep learning as much as we can. As soon as you think you know everything about a subject matter, you've lost. Yeah. And that's where the, the ignorance of stouch opinion, mm. whatever side it is on, that's where failure happens. Yeah. As soon as you think this is the way it is, I know it, mm. I'm done. What more <laughs> do I need to know? You've yeah. lost. And that goes for that's across the board. Mm. That is not one movement or the other, one opinion or the other. It's just anything goes. It's as simple as you could go to like blue is my favorite color. That's all I need to know. Well, how many shades of blue are there? Mm. Like I know that's really dumb to use that <laughs> as an analogy, but it's like I hate this movie. Why was it nominated for an Oscar? Mm. Let me discuss the technicality of this film. Oh, 
wow, yeah. I never would have considered that. It's once you once you think you know everything, mm. you know nothing. Yeah, and that's a, that's across the board. Mm. Uh, the and I want to discuss. We should let's let's discuss the ending here of this movie, which uh, is so brilliant, by the way, because it ties in with the title <laughs> <laughs> of doing the right thing. Yeah, does Mookie do the right thing? I, and I actually, that's my last note is let's discuss the title but the ending of this movie after mm-hmm. a long hot day as the sun goes down as bug out, bugging out wants to create this social awareness that they should boycott sales because he's underrepresenting him yeah. and his people it escalates too far mm-hmm. to a radio being smashed um rahim attacking sal them taking it to the streets and then the cops showing up rahim Dying. Rahim is killed. Yeah. Unnecessarily. He mm. just had his radio. He, it was just his radio. Mm. It was just about a radio. Yeah. Which no. is like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't no. want to keep interrupting. No, but no, like, no. As you, as you're like, the more you, uh, we're talking about this, like keep like modern things keep popping up to my head. Yeah. Like, you say just a radio, but then, uh, it's uh, just CDs. Oscar Grant. He was just riding the subway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Alton Sterling, it was just CDs. Trayvon Martin, it was just a bag of Skittles. Mm-hmm. Mike Brown, it was just walking out of the convenience store. Like how many? How many times do we have to keep repeating this pattern? <laughs> it's. I am like so distraught just talking about it, man. And I don't even have to live it. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of the thing about seeing all these things for the first time. Like it's it's sad. It's sad to see it already, but it's even sadder that it took me this long to kind of mm-hmm. realize because like. So many black folks that I've gotten to talk to, like, we're so desensitized to the subject now. They're like, they're not saying they don't care. They're just saying how much more of my heart can break. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I had the most disheartening conversation with a black filmmaker friend of mine last week. Because I, well, like you, I was kind of in a place where I'm like, what What do I do? So yeah. I just, I extended my hand out to anyone that wants to talk. Like, put a Google links, Google Hangouts link up. Anyone who wants to phone in and like talk, let's about just this. talk it out. Yeah. And it was pretty awesome because like six people called in like and during various different times, and we like shared really great things about what we don't know, what we do know, and what we can do to move forward. And my my friend and I were talking about like what it what it just simply means to be black in in America right now. And like he he said something that kind of haunts me still. And he he said I I don't know if I want to raise kids here. You know what I mean? Like, it, we keep joking about, I'm moving to Canada if Trump gets elected or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I think that's kind of a real thing for him that he's feeling in his core. I don't know if we've gotten to that point yet, but I'm not black. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. And he's like, I, I don't want to have to have that talk with him. And what I'm alluding to is the talk that black families have with their with their sons and their daughters about, like, how you behave around officers. You know, mm-hmm. you must comply. You must be respectful. You must say, sir, blah, blah, blah. Like, I never had that talk with my parents. Like, the talk to me is yeah. the birds and the bees, yeah. right? But, like, the talk for them is, like, how do I survive when I step foot outside my house? Mm-hmm. I, just, I, I'm I, getting chills right now just talking about because, like, I that's not part of my daily existence, TC. And I, I don't blame him yeah. for feeling that way. Mm-hmm. I, I, in a way, feel the same yeah. in that I don't know if I... And certainly there's selfish reasons why I wouldn't want to bring a child in this world right now. But yeah. when I see the way the world this nation works mm. it scares me yeah um my my nephew and nieces my sister's family lives in north carolina mm. charlotte north carolina yeah 
and I'm I'm attempting time and again to subtly have talks with my nephew. Mm-hmm. We text each other all the time. We talk all the time to be sure that he is being educated correctly. Yeah. I never want him to have any sort of hate in his heart towards anyone else. Yeah. That I that that's the that's me imparting as much knowledge and social awareness and love into him that mm-hmm. I can from my distance from all the way over here and yeah. via text and phone calls. And no, I that's that's that is haunting that he doesn't want to bring f- it's it, it, there has to be a way there has to be a way to to just stop passing on hate yeah he's not doing that there are others out there who are doing that and it's and, and luckily thankfully watch uh Neil Tyson and and Bill Nye and the discussion of intelligence hmm. the the courtesy of the internet the spreading of knowledge both incorrect and correct is allowing people to to absorb more information and using that information to become a more intelligent generation. Yeah. And it's up to us to keep pushing knowledge on people. Mm. Because, and it's as silly or as cliche as might sound, knowledge is power. Mm. And, and power is in the knowledge. Yeah. To have someone throw a statistic at you that says, well, did you know that officers have done this numbers of times? To be able to have the knowledge to say, no, that's incorrect. Yeah. You are only looking at this. Mm. That's power. And that's dialogue. Yeah. And it's not, you're wrong, I'm right. It's, you're wrong. You're incorrect. Let me help you be more correct. Yeah. And vice versa and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, God, that's why I love art, man. <laughs> like, I, I do see this as escapism and confrontation mm-hmm. and I've, I've come to appreciate escapism a lot more in the within the last week because like i'm i thought i thought i felt so much pain in my life where i could never feel it again but then this last week was just so disheartening and distraughtful like i just needed good things you good distractions you, you know to escape yeah and like just watching this like while it, it was still very hurtful to watch mm-hmm but I felt, like you said, a sense of hope again. Like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to move forward now. I'm, I'm done being down. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I didn't think watching this movie could do that for me. Right, I, going into yeah. it, you wouldn't expect this to yeah. leave you with optimism. Mm-hmm. But there is a sense of that. Yeah. And to, and to discuss the title, does Mookie do the right thing? Does anyone do the right thing in this mm-hmm. movie? I don't, I don't necessarily have an answer. Yeah. But what I will say is that people did something. Yes. The, the characters that that motivate this story, that push the plot forward, that in this single microcosm day, in a in a single microcosm of Brooklyn, in mm-hmm. a single neighborhood, people did something. Yeah, and that is more, almost more important than if it was the right thing or the wrong thing. Mm. It's the fact that something was done, and and obviously you want people to do the right thing, but in order to get to that point, people need to start doing things. Yeah. It has to move. The ball has to move somewhere. Mm-hmm. That that's such like a great analysis because <laughs> do the right thing is actually asking that question. That's actually the wrong question to ask. Like instead of saying what's the right thing to do, is like what can I do right now? Yeah, is more important. And I read like an interpretation of Mookie's action in an analysis, and 
it said that this per- this critic actually said if Mookie didn't do that, the mob might have gotten violent towards Sal. So if anything, Mookie saved Sal. And I was wow. I thought about it a little bit and I was like that's a really cool <laughs> way to interpret. I have no idea if that's his intention. That's a cool way to look at it, though. That is something. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he grabbed the trash can, so Candace watched with me. She'd never seen the movie before, yeah. which kind of surprised me. But then I always have to remember <laughs> not everyone has seen as many things as I have. <laughs> DC's seen everything. When he gra- when she gra- uh, when Mookie grabs a trash can, she mm-hmm. said, oh, God, I hope he's going to stand on that Yeah. and talk to the people. Mm-hmm. And then when he threw it through the window, she went, she was like, oh. Hmm. Like she felt the pain of it, but wow, is that a good, a, a, a nice analysis of yeah. the moment to be like, wow, he he did save Sal's life, hmm. and to talk about action again, yeah, Sal and his boys didn't fight back. Hmm. They accepted their fate. Uh, maybe they, in some way, felt the responsibility of what they had caused. His but, last few lines before everything erupted, Sal, mm-hmm. at least, he, it felt very, like, guilty. It's, mm-hmm. He said, you know, do what you will or whatever. Or yeah. Like, something like that along those, those do, lines. Do what you're going to do. Yeah, do what you're going to do. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and that's when Mookie grabbed the trash can. Uh, no, no. A little bit after that. Yeah. yeah a few beats after that. But Pino, <laughs> Pino didn't attack. No. P- they tried to fight in the store, but once it was on the street, once the mob was there, they stepped back and accepted their fate. And that action yeah. says more about him than all his bravado and talk mm. about this and that and you know picking on his brother or whatnot. They stood side by side and just yeah, because he was motivated by the wrong things. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like he had hate for black folks, but it wasn't internal or inherent or ingrained by his father. Mm-hmm. It was because his friend, his, his stupid friends, friends, friends were fun of him. Yeah, yeah, like it, he was hating them for the wrong reasons. I think. See, it totally changes, man. Like, like I was saying earlier, when you kind of see someone die like that, everything just changes. Your whole worldview, everything. And mm-hmm. I think, I think when we, when we kind of react to Mookie grabbing the trash can and we saying, "Oh no," mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a wrong reaction. It's just I'm not surprised by that because yeah. that's what we're taught. Like, just stand up and and speak calmly to everyone, but. That's the kind of thing I'm trying. I'm learning now. Like, that's not a luxury for everyone. I mean, people think that the LA riots of '92 and Ferguson and uh, Baltimore in the last couple of years, like we we think that's just savagery and mm-hmm. that's just Neanderthalism. That's not the case. Us civilized yeah. folks would never do that because, you know, we're such in a we're in such a safe bubble. This Southern California bubble that we have. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I. I, I never would condone that, but I, I don't, I'm not mad at them. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, it's it's so fascinating that we're having this conversation today, TC, and watching this movie yesterday, because this morning I woke up, and that whole Baltimore trial with Freddie Gray, mm-hmm. the, the verdict came out today, and they acquitted all the officers. No, uh, no, no officers in the slaying were charged, even though they were charged with manslaughter at, at the beginning, and, like, uh, misconduct... Everyone just went their merry way, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And a family lost their 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 son. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's just, it's fascinating to have this conversation, but it's also, like, really frightening that in 1989, <laughs> it's so, I mean, even, even just aesthetically, like, a lot of the styles are kind of coming back and stuff like that. It's almost like watching it as if it came out yesterday. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, I'm not okay with that <laughs> yeah. no and you and you yeah. shouldn't be yeah and 
the title, the do the right thing. Mm. Do something. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't have to be on the grand scheme of race issues. Yeah. If you see something wrong mm. and you know it's wrong, do something. Yeah. It, it's as simple as if if I see... Okay, so we'll use the movie theater as, as an example. I've, I, if I work box office occasionally and people get upset because they have to pick their seat out or they don't want one side over the other. I've, I have been witness in for more than one occasion where that guest on the other side of the glass starts yelling mm. at the person trying to do their job, and I never stand for that. Yeah. That is wrong. Mm. This, this fellow employee of mine is not doing anything wrong, and this person yelling at them, that's wrong, and I will step over, I will politely step aside, step the employee aside and I will tell that person to stop yelling mm-hmm. to walk away because there's no one at fault here they just don't like how the system is yeah go somewhere else mm-hmm. like I will I will yell it at someone I know that customers always right you got to be good to the that's not good guest services or customer service no it is wrong mm-hmm. to yell at someone like that and it's a simple that's so simple it's so dumb and small yeah but it's being willing to stand up for the right to when you see something wrong, do the right thing, mm. and the right thing is to say it's wrong. Yeah, and that's why these black the Black Lives Matter movement is so damn important. Mm. And uh, Bernie Sanders said the the racism and the violence hasn't changed. The cameras have. Yes, I saw that quote too. That was really yeah. oh, that's such a beautiful this, quote. This this isn't some new problem. Mm. This is a very old problem. Yeah. And for for anyone to say that racism is not as prevalent as it used to be is wrong. Mm-hmm. And you know what? The 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 stouch right, and I'm not going to come down on political lines here, mm-hmm. but those people who say uh, that that presidents and Black Lives Matter are perpetuating ra- perpetuating racism, mm-hmm. and that they're they're drawing lines. All right, that's them. They've lost the argument. Yeah. Because. Black Lives Matter and and people who say there's racism and try to address these issues aren't perpetuating the problem. Yeah. They're addressing the problem. Mm. And you and those people who say you're just making it worse are just mad because <laughs> they have to admit it exists. Yes. They've because of technology, mm. because of where people exist in the country, mm. they don't have to face these issues and now that because of technology, the internet and camera phones and just the the way we are able to share information now to address these issues it's not that these things are getting worse it's we're getting better at sharing this information yes and that is both horrifying and wonderful (laughs) at the same time it's so much to take on Mm -hmm. and i can only imagine how much pressure it's being put on president obama's shoulders because he has to be so much of a centrist you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. More so than any other president. And if he even came out and uttered the words Black Lives Matter, they would come to the White House with tor- torches and pitchforks. Yeah. You know? And that's so freaking sad, man. Because, like, again, like, I, people who say stuff like that, they don't know what racism means. Mm-hmm. I think they're thinking prejudice. Mm-hmm. But then again, they're just being defensive because this is the first time white folks are being put on blast, you know, put on the heater <laughs> for being white. And, you know, this is how everyone has felt that's not white for centuries. Yeah. And, you know, we're not, and I don't want to say we, because I'm not, like, always doing it or whatever, but, like, this this conversation being had about white privilege and being white in America, it's very, it's it's new, new-ish, and especially on a grand scale, on a grand platform. And mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing. Like, of course white people suffer. <laughs> like, you, we just alluded to the Italian and Irish Americans Pe- of yesterday. People suffer. People suffer. And... 
But there is a system in place to where certain demographics of the country and the populace can benefit from, like getting a loan for a business <laughs> or whatever. That's it's, it's small stuff like that. But I mean, like, if we don't address it, it's going to be continually cyclical. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And and this whole like being defensive about oh this is racism blah blah, but like they're yelling it at from their like four story houses yeah. or whatever. Hey, it's quiet like, down down there. Exactly. <laughs> it's like from their ivory towers. It's, it's so spoofish mm -hmm. it feels like a mel brooks movie almost <laughs> like the movie like yeah like we need movies like do the right thing yeah and dear white people mm. and friday <laughs> yeah i love friday i just rewatched it recently too <laughs> and and not just in the black culture and community mm. but we need movies that will address problems through artistic means it's it's what I always say about the best science fiction. Yeah. It goes to the best art. The best art will address something without you realizing it. Hmm. There are certainly wonderful pieces of art that pointedly, pointedly and bluntly address issues. I yeah. would never deny that. But I think the best art tricks people yeah. into facing issues and addressing issues. Hmm. And that's why Do the Right Thing is such an important film and on so many levels. Yeah. Obviously, we've been honed in on the socio-political aspects of this film but from a filmmaking standpoint to go all the way back to the camera movements to the scripts to the performances to to what the dialogue is to to uh the the artistic choices of the look of it and the feel of it and the sound of it and the thematic elements the the film itself is brilliant and this is a movie that i 100 percent undoubtedly recommend to yeah. anyone to watch mm. if you want to be a filmmaker watch this movie if you want to find a way to open the door to address issues, watch this movie. Uh, it's funny. It's sad. It's gr this. That's that's my blanket statement on do the right thing. Hmm. Do you have a recommendation at all? Uh, I we've we've kind of touched on some other films yeah. to 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 watch with this. Dear White People is certainly the most recent of the movies that I feel is a safe entry into this conversation. Hmm. Um, but uh, I will also use from just a cinema uh, film filmmaker point of view, not just the 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 um, themes and whatnot, but the movie Friday, yeah. because Friday is a slice of life, uh, day in the life of inner city black culture. Like it's it's a great relatable film for just one vignette after the other with a with an all encompassing story. I love it. The movie's hilarious. It's so good. <laughs> oh, smoky. <laughs> How about you? Um, this is really interesting because I was working on a blog post recently because I'm I'm really kicking myself in the butt right now because I I wanted to do I had a goal of watching uh, a movie per week that was by a person of color, a woman, or a person of uh, different sexual sex, orientation. sexual orientation. Um, but I failed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're busy. It's so Sorry. hard. It's so hard. <laughs> I easy. try drawing a picture a day and yeah. I run out of time. <laughs> But I wanted to do a special blog post, and I was going to title it um, Black Films Matter. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to categorize it in films, like top three or five films that help you understand the issues, and top three or five films for the community to help heal from all these tragic, traumatic events. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was kind of thinking, I am not well-versed in black cinema. I think... Bryce Marrero is someone who you should consult. Uh, if great you know. reviewer. If you does he have a Twitter? He does he certainly at uh, Bushido Bryce. He writes great, some of the best like paragraph reviews. <laughs> great reviewer. Um, he he throws one out. Beasts of the Southern Wild. I never got to see that when it was nominated out awesome. two three years ago. 
it's great it's great it's i never so got good. to see it <laughs> but um that one that's something he throws out for healing mm-hmm. but um for understanding i i feel like something that if you want to see in a modern context that kind of happens the same way that happens in do the right thing at the end but in the grand scheme of the film it's more introspective it's more like a day in the life as well but mm-hmm. focusing on one person i'd say ryan coogler's fruitvale station is oh, fantastic yes. and michael b jordan gives the performance of his lifetime and I feel like it's it's a difficult watch because he is also Oscar Grant is also such a flawed person as mm-hmm. well. It's the gray. Yeah, you're in the you're in. It's not as simple as this or that. Mm-hmm. It's it's that middle nebulous area. Absolutely, but I, I think Kugler and company do such a great job of humanizing this figure of Oscar Grant because mm-hmm. uh, the media loves to either point reasons why to justify this killing or not say their name at all you know they're kind of a nameless statistic Mm -hmm. in this film you get to know who this person is and at the end of it you sympathize with the outcome and you don't find it justifiable whatsoever you know this was a person it leaves you questioning yeah a lot of what you perceive Mm. i oh that's such a powerful movie yeah and how how how, (laughs) there wasn't more nominations for that in the awards circuit particularly for michael b jordan's performance he's so great and that was coogler's debut it was. Yeah. He, he was 27 when uh, he made that film. Incredible. Yeah. That, and he went on to do... What am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> can't look at it that way. And actually, I'm glad you'd say something like that. Yeah. Because this often I will share my circumstances, my story of mm. what happened to me. Uh, for those who know me, I've, I, was, uh, I have experienced things that were the result of gun violence. And, and I've moved on. I, or not moved on. I've lived on. Mm. And often people will, will want to complain about some circumstance they have, and then they'll say, like, oh, well, I shouldn't complain because you. And I say, no, you can't do that. Hmm. And you, just like you, you shouldn't compare yourself to Kugler, and he's 27, and he's, <laughs> he's, or he's 31 now, and he's yeah. already made some, of the, some incredible <laughs> films. You can't compare yourself to someone else. You can only compare yourself to yourself. Hmm. And if you feel like you're stationary, if you feel like, you've your wheels are spinning then you got to get traction somewhere yeah and the more realistic your traction the more distance you'll travel mm. that's very a fortune cookie i know but i think it makes sense i love it <laughs> no i liked it and um just to kind of harken back about what you said earlier about something so simple as having humanity and empathy when it comes to just people um i i don't want to ever have to forget that because yes we see all these postings on social media and and, and the news and stuff like that, it's so cold. It's so distant, you mm-hmm. know. I, I don't want to ever have to be out of touch or tone deaf when it comes to these issues because seeing that, once again, I keep saying I appreciate art so much because of this. Um, even though it's somewhat a hyper-stylized, fictionalized account of real-life happenings, it's still truthful about real-life happenings. Mm-hmm. And there are times where I wouldn't even be aware of these things if not for Do the Right Thing or Fruitvale Station and whatnot. And art, we, art opened the door. Yeah. We need we need more art like Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that no, no, strange. that's such, that's such <laughs> a punctuation, Margaret. Uh, so, um, yeah, I definitely recommend this movie. And... And I'm glad I, this opened up the conversation to to be had here. And this is only yeah. the beginning of of conversation. We aren't the logical people to be discussing this. Just a couple surface, geeks, but the dialogue is there. Yeah. And uh, I'm interested to see 
what other people watching this or just even hearing us discuss this might have to say. There's mm-hmm. certainly opinions to be had out there. And let your opinion be heard. Whether it's right to someone or wrong to someone, it's a matter of doing, putting it out there, saying something. Yeah. It's so much easier to create a dialogue when you know the perspective people's are, people are coming from. Yeah. You, you, can, you can know the people you can lean to to discuss certain aspects. Uh, and you know the people that you can avoid thanks to certain <laughs> things. Um, there's always an unfollow button. <laughs> there's always an unfollow button. <laughs> I recently had a nice little interaction with someone online. Ooh. And uh, from time to time... TC's I, famous internet battles. I, would like, I, I decide to feed a troll. I decide... Yeah. I'm gonna try to. I'm a. This is this is one worth having a conversation mm-hmm. about. President Obama, back during uh, when I believe uh, when gay marriage was nationally recognized. Yes. Lit up the White House mm-hmm. with rainbow. Okay. When Dallas happened, he did not light up the White House with blue lights. Mm-hmm. And some people had a problem with that. What the heck? You know mm-hmm. what the hell is this guy doing? Worst president ever. This guy's done nothing but problems. What a what a monster. <laughs> And someone point, pl- placed an article on that, uh, uh, put an article up online about about uh, the lights being one and not the other, and what does that say about our awful president? And the guy was just making his, his opinion known that he didn't like President Obama. But then, devolving in the comment section, came one of the craziest, craziest opinions. And there's this, this is an opinion held by many people, just this guy ranting about how awful of a president President Obama is and the things that he's done. And just, I wouldn't piss on him if he was on fire. I'd wait for a liberal to come around and do it. Like, saying that. And even the guy who did the original post was like, whoa. dude. And then the guy going so far as he said this, he said this. This is the epitome of a young Adolf Hitler. Oh, right? my And I read, gosh. I was already reading this thread and thinking, ah, this is sad. But when I got to that point, I said, Hold on. <laughs> no. This will not stand. And I was like, I have to say something, but I don't want to get sucked in. Put on your cape. To oh, see. my God. And so there was one of my friends in the thread. I sent him a message like, dude, can you believe what this guy said? I want to say something, but I don't want to get sucked in. Okay, I got to say something. <laughs> and so I, I, I just was so aggravated by someone saying such a thing like that and just representation of... Uh, representing that opinion mm-hmm. that that I, I had to say something I had to say something even if it was just silliness I had to be a, I had to interject on this troll and I said I've heard a lot of wild claims about President Obama Mr. Dan Billingsworth <laughs> that's your real name but th- no that is his real name I want him <laughs> publicly shamed for his opinion that I have heard some wild opinions hmm. about our dear president Mr. Uh, President Obama here. But that might be one of the most craziest. Because, and I want you to consider that this is just my history flag flying and my love for trivia. Adolf Hitler was 46 when he became the Fuhrer of Germany. President Obama was 47 when he became president. So how could he possibly be the epitome of a young Adolf Hitler? He must be referencing the painting days of Adolf <laughs> <laughs> So, and, and, and I colored it with, like, uh, um, Eddie McHates Jews instead of calling him Hitler and uh, BHO for president, for the Prez. Like, I tried to be, like, tongue-in-cheek about it, but yeah. my statement was clear. Was, and then I ended it with uh, hashtag all facts matter. <laughs> 
which is is clearly me being a sarcastic asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I got blocked. Oh. I feel like that is a true victory that his comments on this, he was like, done with me for pointing that. Was this on Facebook? <laughs> this was on Facebook. Oh, my God. <laughs> troll. He probably troll. thought you were the troll. <laughs> but to, 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 to go back to what we're just, this is just it hearing someone's opinion matters mm. hear their opinion because you will be able to see where you stand against their p- opinion yeah and then an interaction can occur yeah. and if you stand by your opinion and you refuse if you block off that other side of dialogue you have lost you have to be willing to talk through things mm. if you aren't willing to talk through things you've lost absolutely and talking through it and I don't want to say civilized manner because that's such an ableist way of saying it too, but in a way where we can engage them without hurting people. Mm-hmm. Because the one thing that I really learned um, in our activist circles, really, especially after interviewing my friend uh, Vanessa Na, um, she's a Cambodian American activist, and she says, "I do everything and I do it with love, even if it's like something that I truly despise. I have to address it with love and from an angle that's compassionate." Mm-hmm. I recently had a scuffle. Uh, Physical or no, no, face to face verbal okay. scuffle. Okay, <laughs> with with this uh, this young white fellow who identifies himself as a liberal, and you know Portland is the third whitest city in the country, which is which is like it has its own history of why that is, <laughs> but I won't get into that. But but I tried because we we were talking about the Trump rallies versus the I think it was the Bernie Sanders rallies because mm-hmm. they were they both broke out in violence. But like I tried to try to help him understand that the violence is so different. You know mm. what I mean? What Trump has been spewing on and on about you know, immigrants and non-white Americans. Yeah, get out of here. Basically, get out of here, right? <laughs> um, like he understood that, but yet he treated like the two uh, protesters were on the same level. Mm-hmm. Like he he said, violence doesn't solve anything. We need to let the system handle it. But the system is what got us Trump in the first place, yeah. right? <laughs> and like I'm not mad at him for that because there is a little bit of naivete when, you know, he's fresh out of school, blah blah blah. I don't I don't want to be that bully saying, You are wrong mm-hmm. or whatever. But I just try to tell him Open your eyes calmly, <laughs> yeah, and stuff like that. And but he started attacking Jasmine, that's when I'm not okay with that because we were both it was like a almost three way conversation. It was this is my brother and his friends mm-hmm. and like they were clearly uncomfortable because um, they're they're all white and like every any time there's an issue about race amongst like white folks in Oregon especially I just feel like should I even bother <laughs> blinders up fingers and ears <laughs> la, 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 la. but like I I just felt I I was compelled in that moment to have to say something even mm-hmm. if it was aggressive because this is so wrong like how can you keep perpetuating the stance of like it was so white. It was white explaining one one. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like if you do it the right way, which is the only way mm-hmm. where the rest of us have done it, then you can you know attain citizenship too. Blah 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 blah. And this and that. I'm just like you keep saying you're anti-Trump, but you are saying everything that promotes his campaign. Yeah, you can't claim to be yeah. a liberal with with a point of view exactly like that. Yeah, you should have asked him if he likes John Cena. <laughs> Did you see I, I, that? Was a brilliant that um, video. That was one take too. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, for those of you who don't know, John Cena put out a great message of of like what a real American is, mm. and it's great because definitely the WWE <laughs> is verging so into it's verging <laughs> into a subculture that is very 
pro Trump. Yeah. And, it, and I, I'm certainly not blanking that over everyone who's a mm. WWE fan, but it's it's that prejudice of oh you like wrestling and NASCAR. I hope you enjoy the uh, the election that's going on right now. <laughs> like that's completely me being a, a hypocritical, prejudiced yeah. asshole by saying something like that. But having John Cena say that message mm. was great because yeah. it, I'm sure it tricked, fooled a lot of people. And yeah, go see what John has to say. Oh crap! White America is the minor is like a very small microcosm. White straight male America is a <laughs> microcosm. First, just the first statistic that fifty one percent of the planet is women. It's like, hey, guess what? <laughs> it's not a man's world. <laughs> that was ah, that was so good, and it, it was so specific and intentional too. That's mm-hmm. what's that's what's important. And God, I love that man. <laughs> you can't see me. Um, <laughs> it's we it's a sad state of affairs the what we what we deal with and what we have in our lives uh, but it's the state of affairs we have to deal with right now and i'm still very much like an optimist at heart mm-hmm. i feel like a few bad apples is still just a few right and i think it's enough to obviously influence a set of number of people including a majority of people but mm-hmm. um if someone i think mostly we're just unaware like i was unaware for the longest time Mm -hmm. and so you know once again conversations dialogue discourse is so necessary because we're not inherently bad tc no we're not that is it's learned it's taught still so much good left in people like like i love that fred rogers quote it comes up every time there's a tragedy Mm -hmm. like whenever Uh, there's a rogers yeah. yeah like he said his mother told him like whenever there's a tragedy, make sure to look for the people helping because there's always going to be people helping, mm-hmm. and that's so true. That is so true. Even having this conversation is helping. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would like to wrap up this episode by using. Um, I'm going to read the two quotes okay. and the movie, and we can. I'll, I'll just let it settle, and it's a conver- And I, I hope that hearing these quotes will will initiate conversation. And uh, what what I might end up doing here is we'll take a break, and we'll come back and we'll we'll talk a little bit more, more cheery stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the two quotes that end "Do the Right Thing" are from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. Uh, first is the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. quote: "Violence as a way of achieving social justice is both impractical and immoral. It is impractical." Because it, because it is a descending spiral ending in the destruction for all. The old law of eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. It destroys a community, and it makes brotherhood impossible. It leaves society in monologue rather than dialogue. Violence ends by defeating itself. It creates bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers. And, uh, and, and I mean, I'd be willing to even have a quick little dialogue about just that quote itself. Mm. Um, but it's it's like what we were just saying. It's that it you have to talk talk this out, and it can't yeah. be single mindedness talking. You have to open your opinion. You mm-hmm. have to. It can't just be 
Eye for an eye. Yeah. It can't be. And and I think, especially, we need to step away from our elementary school understanding of MLK as well, because it's I think it's taught in a way where he's very m- milk toast and watered down. Because mm-hmm. he was a radical. You know what I mean? If you watch Selma. Watch Selma. Yes. Watch Selma, please, for the love of God. Because even though that's like racism 101, he, he organized marches and protests and stuff necessarily to attain the rights that I, as a minority, have today. And mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for him and for his radicalism. You know, not this guy where... He had a dream, and that was it. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah. did stuff to get there. <laughs> I, I have a dream is one sentence in a very long <laughs> yeah. speech that he gives. I know. Have you ever heard that whole speech? It's, there's there's more to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, to end with those two quotes at the end, I felt more conflicted than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. P- particularly because the message is conflicting. Yeah. Because MLK, his message is violence can't be the answer. Mm. But that quote comes first. Yes. The second quote from Malcolm X mm-hmm. says, violence can't be the answer, but sometimes it's the choice. And it's what has to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and here, is, here is Malcolm X's quote. I think there are plenty of good people in America, but there are also plenty of bad people in America. And the bad ones are the ones that seem to have all the power and be in the positions to block that block things that you and I need because this is the situation you and I have to persevere and preserve the right to do what is necessary to bring an end to that situation and it doesn't mean that I advocate violence but at the same time I am not against using against using violence in self-defense I don't even call it violence when it's self-defense I call it intelligence. That TC Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> and and I know what what the message I'm I'm taking from that is that the you have to fight back. Mm. It, sometimes the correct course of action is to fight back. Yeah. And to to just put the trash can over on its side, stand on top of it and try to speak to the people is not going to save the day. It's not going to win the day. Sometimes you have to throw that garbage can through mm. a window yeah. to wake everyone up. It's not a Bing Crosby musical. <laughs> but exactly. You you say you hit it the nail right on the head, TC. Like, the moment Ferguson happened, I know everyone was outraged and some blah, 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 one, two, add in all this, you know, ableist respectability politics on top of the, the real issue. But, like, it got people talking. Mm-hmm. It got people to recognize, holy crap, you know, put all this BS aside. This is this is happening right now in 2016. That's crazy, and so yeah, you you totally hit the nail right in the head. The the way we have to keep addressing these issues has to change, mm-hmm. and it's from all sides. Yeah, in that the dialogue does need to happen, but I don't know if rushing a stage and and stealing the microphone from someone to to declare your message is mm-hmm. the right way to do it. I don't know what the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the right thing is. Yeah, but when I in in my singular personal way of seeing things i i always see things in is does that feel just Hmm. the message of of the black lives matter movement is just Hmm. but i don't agree with some of the ways that they want to declare that message and but it needs to be said you see like i'm so conflicted in in and i fear for my some of my best friends growing up Hmm. uh andy and jason are police officers in a very violent area Hmm. era area and i fear for them 
and I'm I'm not just pro cop, and yeah. I, I can be pro cop and pro Black Lives Matter. I exactly. can be what uh, Trevor Noah said. Yeah, <laughs> uh, fr- uh, Trevor Noah from the Daily Show. Yes, yeah. uh, it's there needs to be dialogue, but there also needs to be action. And if violence, hmm. if if in, intelligence is the answer, and whatever the intelligent way to do things, that's the, that's that has to happen. Yeah, absolutely, and. Wow, that quote. <laughs> it's so thought-provoking. Because, mm-hmm. like, what MLK says, it's, it's, of course, it's absolutely correct. But it's that almost they're good unknown. people yeah. and bad people, and the yeah. bad people seem to have the power. But yeah. we have the power. Mm-hmm. We have the power. Yeah, absolutely. I love this feeling of complexity. Mm-hmm. It puts me in a state of uncomfortableness, mm-hmm. but, like, I, my wheels are turning. Mm-hmm. Like, I am... I'm like, I think we're both pretty neurotic guys. We're always constantly <laughs> thinking about each and every step of our actions. How is this affecting this person? Full of doubt. <laughs> full of doubt. But it's it's just so great, TC. I'm I'm just so glad that we we had this conversation today mm-hmm. because I feel like I'm walking away with more knowledge. Mm-hmm. And we both started out knowing about the same and not really knowing where to go next. But we yeah. feel I, I feel like I'm walking out of here feeling, okay, I know what to do next. Yeah, yeah. I feel motivated by this film. I feel motivated Which is violence! By... <laughs> no, no. Okay. I feel motivated by the film, and I feel motivated by the conversation. And, yeah. And, and always trying to find a way to, to have a conversation, whether it's subtly or not. Yeah. And people want to throw around the Constitution of this country. Mm. People want to throw around the Bible. People want to throw around quotes like this, even. Mm. Um, and, and it's all subtext. It's yeah. all... And all textual, textual, yeah. con- contextual. You can take bits and pieces of everything and make it and spin it to your, and spin to your message. Yeah. But you have to look at the whole message hmm. to see what is really being said. The Bible does say a lot of things that help your opinion. Yeah. But it also says a lot of things that go against your opinion. Yeah. And people can throw the Constitution around about what our rights are and what our privileges are, but at the end of the day, the very first sentence on that is we the people mm-hmm. it's a country mm-hmm. founded a country founded on rebellion yeah a country founded on differences of opinion a country founded and and a, a nation founded on we yeah and you know c- certainly i'm secluding just that portion of the of the constitution that was written by a bunch of white guys who didn't <laughs> consider women people or any one of minority people mm. um but it's we i think not to, like, you can edit this out if you want, but not, I, I just think that's such a fascinating conversation because, like, obviously, if we have any semblance of true American history, this this place is founded on the blood and bones of indigenous folks mm-hmm. and blood in general. <clears throat> but like any bad thing, I think we can turn it into a good thing. Like, if we acknowledge that there is a system in place to put people of color and women and gay folks and disabled people at a disadvantage across the board, then we can turn something bad that was initially, you know, to benefit white, straight Christian males into something that we all can, you know, that's equity 101. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like what you're saying right there, yeah, the constitution written by a bunch of old white dudes, <laughs> but if we, you know, kind of relook at it, reexamine it and see what does it, it's not they built even... it they built it to change yes exactly yeah. like second amendment i'm i'm all about like responsible gun ownership and whatnot. yeah and not yeah. to get into like deep political stuff <laughs> but like 
but that was built so we could have militias back in the day. So if, <laughs> just in case the government was so corrupt that we could overthrow them. But do you ever see like a time where we need to do that right now? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> some would disagree, yeah. some would argue, and I yeah. and I would and I would go to this. Mm. And it's it's a it's knowledge. Mm. Knowledge is power. Yeah. Okay. Britain taxed us, right? Yeah. They they own they own this country and they tax this country. They mm. sent us tax after tax. But you know what the only tax is that they actually enforced? T. <laughs> yeah. That's it. When yeah, the that. American Revolution began, mm-hmm. Britain had no idea yeah. that we were upset. <laughs> They were surprised when we were revolting (laughs) because Benjamin Franklin was sending them letters saying, everything's fine. Silent grudge. (laughs) (laughs) So when when the American Revolution began, it it began in a state of confusion Mm -hmm. because Britain had no idea. (laughs) And maybe if we had told them, things could have changed. Kind of like Brexit. (laughs) (laughs) So... I, fascinating. I, I, <laughs> we've we've opened a whole can of worms here, <laughs> and we could delve into all sorts of political angles and whatnot. And yeah. at the at the end of the day, I am all for love and knowledge and and the empowerment of knowledge, mm. the empowerment that knowledge gives us. Yeah. And let this movie, let do the right thing, be a launch point into having conversation. And if if not that. And use this simply as an as an educational tool for filmmaking mm. and how to craft a film technically and craft a story technically. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I think uh, we should wrap the episode up here. Yes, let's. Yes. So uh, so many tangents. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody needs to do apologize. I, I this is one of the reasons I love this podcast is mm. coming into coming in to conversations like these and just seeing where they go. Yeah. So I mean we we certainly had notes, but neither you or I really looked at our notes much. we just let the conversation have at just it just like tc hear my words <laughs> uh, i'll do a quick plug for firmamentfilms.com which you if you are listening to it here please check out our movie section where you can see interviewing 101 which is one of our more recent films and our winningest film in the history of our company screenwriter which we made for the milwaukee 40 hour film 48 hour film festival one eight awards Holla. including best picture which is a huge honor congratulations and, oh, th- friend. thank you very much um very exciting please if you haven't seen it yet give it give it a look a lot of uh, a lot of great work went into this and it's such it's such a exciting thing to see people's hard work acknowledged not just as this isn't a selfish like yay me yeah it's sound and special effects and costuming and the the whole the whole shebang of the team that worked really hard to do this so please give that a look just yeah. to go back to our fourth wall conversation, TC does a great fourth wall break in screenwriter. <laughs> I was against that. Uh, Chad had to convince me that was okay. Ah. I was like, ah. I only wanted it at the end, but mm-hmm. he he he's like put it in the middle there. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> uh, also do a quick plug for the one minute rewatch, where my most recent episode features a song of remakes and reboots. You can find that on the so BitLife good. channel on YouTube. We'll chat about it later. <laughs> uh, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TC's Big Head, or you can follow Firmament on Twitter and Instagram at Firmament Films, no space. Ben. All right, so. You are the El Capitan of the band with no name film company. <laughs> Man, there's a conversation we had, but it's going to be off mic, but okay. <laughs> Here we go. So I am the El Capitan of the band. With, actually, it's not the band with no name film company anymore. I should stop saying that because <laughs> I changed it because it was such a mouthful. 
I am the Elbow Capitan of Band with No Name Films. You can find us on Facebook at Band with No Name Films. And um, uh, I'm also on the Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at Benjitoes, B-E-N-J-I-T-O-E-S. You can uh, f- keep update or stay updated with our current short film project, The Immortal Iron Fist, is a Marvel, f- Marvel Comics fan film, which is just wrapped. Really happy about it. Really happy with the way it turned out. TC's an extra. You get to see what I said. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Classic. Um, <clears throat> And I'm also still working on my series for NBC Asian America. NBC Asian America presents Life Stories, which is a documentary interview profile series on Asian or notable and influential Asian Americans throughout America. So catch that at NBCAsianAmerica.com or you can find it at NBC Asian America on Facebook. Excellent. Yay. All right. Well, that being said, if you've listened to this on Ferment uh, or if you're listening to it somewhere on Facebook, please comment. Let us know what you thought about this very thought-provoking conversation. So it's always a pleasure, Ben, to, to have you around here. So uh, That wraps it up for now. Um, we are going – I'm off to Comic-Con this weekend, so I will come back with a report on that stuff. So, uh, I am TC DeWitt for Bento across the table from me for all the re everywhere saying do the right thing. Keep doing what you're doing. Talk to you guys next time. Fight the power. 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 We got to fight the power. That's me.